Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today, Robert Crane, is a prolific writer, one who has written about personal pain in Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder, which is about the 1978 homicide of Hogan's Hero star Bob Crane. But he's also a co-author of nine other books covering Jack Nicholson, Bruce Dern, Tom Mankiewicz, SCTV, Baby Boomers, Bartenders, and O.J. Simpson. He was also a 20-year contributor to Playboy magazine and co-writer of the TV movie Hostage for a Day, which was directed by John Candy. Robert's current work is featured in a new collection of short stories, Beyond Where the Buses Run, stories available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can find out more about Robert Crane on his Facebook page. Robert, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Ira. Tell me, why did you decide on a life of writing? Well, I, I knew because of my father, who I admired in a professional way, I knew that I w didn't have the chops to be an actor. It, it's just, it was beyond me. I, I admired how he could jump into any situation and just go with it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. But I've always been in, intrigued with the life of the writer, you know, reading books growing up, a lot of magazines and newspapers at our house because my dad was on the radio and he needed, you know, the daily input. And how did you get the story? How did, how does uh, one capture that and be like Joan Didion says, she was so small, so tiny a person and didn't speak much. She observed all the time. And I like the Christopher Isherwood line about being a camera. And so I, I, I was intrigued by that. So I, in fact, I, on the Crane book, I do offer up a little, there's a, a line from Christopher Isherwood talking about that. And I, I watched, I, I couldn't talk faster or louder than my dad. So I, not that I withdrew, I just, I thought it was more fascinating watching and hearing people and why they say certain things and do certain things. So I guess that, that led me towards writing. I, I had some great creative writing teachers in high school and college, including a guy named Bill Jones, who is no longer with us, but he just, this is back in the 60s, he just turned everybody on with the idea of creative writing. And I, I just went from there. And very long story short, a after a few years ago in the college, I started mailing out ideas to, you know, back in the days of mail, so snail mail. <laughs> not, not email, snail mail. Did you use uh, Writer's Market to uh, send it out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Writers, we had that big old fat book, Writer's Market. You know, I went, okay, okay, that'll go there. You know, you send your letter out. And, and it'll say right in the Writer's Market if that person accepts unsolicited manuscripts or query letters. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Now it's absolutely. all online. So, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Thing. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So things just grew. And then, you know, you get your first freelance gig and you can't believe it. You're looking at the check. And then the magazine comes out and you're looking at your name on a printed page and you go, oh, this is great. And then you look at your bank account and you say, did I make a mistake? <laughs> yeah. And then you say, how am I going to pay rent this month? Exactly. Uh, what was yeah. your first big project? Was it your father's book? 
No, no, no. Uh, going way back, back to college, I went to USC under the guise of studying film there. This is after, you know, George Lucas had passed through and some other names like that. Uh, he's probably the biggest name. So I thought I would join the, the crowd there and also stay out of Vietnam, which I, I didn't believe in. My draft number was 55, and I, I thought I was wrong, and I, I was not going there. So what grew out of that, though, is my longtime co-writer on various projects, Chris Fryer, and I had a class where we were talking about heroes, heroes and you know, like the old time hero from the 20s and 30s and 40s and now the new age hero. And we just fell in love with Jack Nicholson, Easy Rider. And then Five Easy Pieces had just come out when we were in college. And we just uh, we just thought since Marlon Brando, this guy is the most honest presence on film. So a uh, very long story short, through devious means, we got his home phone number. <laughs> we call him up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, is Jack Nicholson there? I mean, I, it was me on the phone. I knew it was Jack Nicholson, but I, I didn't want to be too rude. Yeah, speaking. So we do the pitch. We are two film students going to USC film department, and uh, we're doing a paper about present day heroes of film and you are the man and we would love to meet with you and interview you. And he gave us his address up on Mulholland and Chris and I went up there probably about a week later and go down the driveway, no gate. This is early seventies, early seventies, no gate on our left. We find out later Marlon Brando's house. Go down the driveway on our right, Jack Nicholson's house. And we proceed to interview him for uh, three, four hours. And then uh, we were so elated by everything. His answers were great and just sharing time with him. And what people didn't know that was that before Easy Rider, there was 15 years of work. I mean, he was in B movies. He was in the Roger Corman films. He was in, I mean, beyond B, class C movies, you know, things like that. Uh, just getting his chops together, Hell's Angels on Wheels and stuff like that. Most people didn't were not aware of. They thought, oh, here's a new guy with Easy Rider. No, he's been around a long time. So uh, that was really what the thrust of the book was about. All that time before uh, we stopped at Chinatown. That, that's where we cut it, Chinatown. So everything before that was what we were interested in. So that, that was the first big project. You realize there's a, there's a technical cinematic term for what you and Chris did. It's called chutzpah. <laughs> I know. I have a colleague of Jack Nicholson. Hey, hey, look, we're two USC students. We want to interview you. And he says, yeah, come on down. I mean, that, that wouldn't happen today. Generally, oh, it wouldn't happen today. You, you, yeah. yeah. That, you, soon after that, because we did go back, we, we asked him, do you mind if we put this into a larger item, like a book? Yeah, go ahead. You know, he'll like he'd never hear from us again. And we proceeded to interview 
14, 15 people that worked with him, Bruce Dern, Hal Ashby, Karen Black, all those people that had worked with him up, you know, to that point, the cutoff point. And then we thought, well, this is a book. I mean, this is, we have, you know, and we said, you okay with that? And he kind of thought he'd probably never hear from us again. And we sold the book, you know, not again, not for very much money, but you get that book, you look at it, you look at the cover, you see your name on it, you see Jack Nicholson, you go, wow, how did this happen? So Chris and I are so excited, we call him up again. This is now 1975. This is four years, Ira, after we started this project. And we made enough money probably to buy lunch at, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, to buy an everything bagel, actually. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't care. We didn't care. We did it. So, Jack, can we bring you a book? Yeah, come on up. Like, you guys are still around? You know, <laughs> so we go he up never, there. Now, so he never knew the book was published then? No, no, no. So we go up to his house, and we're standing in the hallway. You know, he's. I think he's kind of finished with us at this point. We don't go into the living room on this. We're in the hallway. And he's looking through the book, and within 30 seconds, finds a mistake. It was a misidentification of one of the people in a photo. And Chris and I just look at each other. Oh, God. And we left him a book. And that was really it. We saw him maybe two or three times after that at various, you know, events and stuff. But that well, was- I will tell you the difference. Project. Yeah, the difference between you and me is that once the book came out, I would make sure he got it or I'd call and say, hey, would you like us to bring over a copy? You guys evidently thought, yeah, well, he'll get, he'll read at some point. And it's yeah, no, years no. later that you go to his house again. No, no, it, it it took us four years. So it came out in 75. So as soon as we got copies. Oh, I see. I misunderstood. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. As soon, All right. as, soon yeah. as, as soon as we received physical right. copies, we ran one up there. You know, we were, we couldn't believe it. And then he finds the mistake and we go, ah, <laughs> damn it. That does happen. Now I understand. As soon as it came out, it took years to write it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It took us four years. And uh, we, we split, I wrote, we, Chris and I split, I think, $2,500. <laughs> well, that would be a lot of lunches at what no longer exists, Tiny Nailers. So there you go. Tiny Nailers. <laughs> now, uh, you're one of the few guests I've had on that ha not only co-wrote a book, but you co-wrote with Chris a lot of books. What's the process for co-writing? How does that work? Because I understand if you're a solo author or writer, and I... I I've always talked to authors and writers about the process and how they collate material, do interviews, et cetera. But how in the world do you divide the labor when you're a co-writer and not just a one project, but several projects? Yeah. Yeah. We also, we worked on a book about Bruce Dern where we actually sat down with him and that was, you know, 80 hours of tape. We taped everything. Did you tape uh, Nicholson as well? We did. And the tapes are in such bad quality, I, I can't even play them anymore. You've got to These digitize those tapes. There are companies that will do that for you. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because, you know, we're back in the days of the little cassette tape, you know, your little trusty cassette recorder. Understand. And, uh, yeah, so it's Bruce Stern and and really the, the Crane book that you mentioned earlier. I'll, I'll, I'll use the Crane book as an example because it was a little different. Because on that one, it's not Nicholson or Dern telling a story. It's good old Bob here telling the story. And Chris didn't, 
He didn't settle. He didn't go, oh, okay, let's go on. Well, why did you do that? Well, what was the color of the, you know, and it became a pain in the butt for me. After, ah, you know, because I have to use my brain and think back. And I'm thinking back to years ago and stuff like that. But it was the push, push, push by Chris's, uh, on Chris's part that got the words together. Then, again, we had hours of tape because we taped that as well to just to get the words correct then it was the editing process like we had to do on Nicholson and Dern where you just have a stack of transcribed words you know on paper and we're just going in there cutting and pasting until we came up with a you know rough first draft and got it typed up and went from there and then you, you know it's honing in and cutting and all that but Chris's role on that was he was the director. He was pushing for detail. And I, it made me aware of things that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And also not going for the easy route, you know, for settling that word settle, you know, we didn't settle. We kept going. And uh, yeah, so it worked out well on those. You gave your generation away by saying you typed up the material. <laughs> oh, Ira, the Selectric 2. IBM Selectric 2 with a little ball. With a ball it. that goes back. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love the Selectric 2. With the whiteout, the whiteout tape. Yeah, for people who don't know, the IBM Selectric was different from a typical typewriter. And that the ball moved, not the keys. It, all all yeah. the all the letters were on a ball that went back and forth. Then you had correctotype yeah. as part of how you were able to erase a letter and type over. Yeah. So yeah, uh, amazing. That was incredible. When yeah. you think about it, how so many books over the decades were produced using not only that method but other methods, even simpler, going yeah. back in time, the regular typewriter, for example, and using yeah. carbon paper and using correctotype the liquid or the little thing that you put it. So yeah, it's always amazing to me how technology certainly is much better these days, but yet somehow talent will out and things get produced despite what kind of technology you're working with. Yeah. No, I, I am amazed like reading about Hemingway in longhand. He's writing everything out, you know, with a pencil or pen on stacks of paper, giving them to some trusted person who is going to have to read all this, you know, crossing out and all the arrows and all of this to type up a draft, someone else. It's like, wow. Yeah, it is amazing. Because you've written so much, I introduce you as a prolific writer, and that's clear. Do you find that now, especially with your current project, which I reference, it's called Beyond Where the Buses Run, Stories, and you're a contributor to that. Do you find that it's easier to write now than 20, 30 years ago, or is it harder, or is it just a different approach for you mentally? It's a, that's a great question. You know, when people say that's a great question, they're really stalling for time to come up with a great answer. I'm okay with that. As long as the answer is great, I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me, on the, on the uh, Beyond Where the Buses Run, which, by the way, we stole from Bruce Dern. That was a Bruce Dern line about the characters that Bruce Dern plays. They're always off the beaten track, you know, so we came up with that. That was exciting for me because it was fiction. So I, I guess to answer your question, 
I'm always looking for a new angle or a new way to do it or something I didn't do before, even if it's minute. Uh, and that's, that's what keeps me going. And, and, and on the short story thing, I had never had a, you know, a short story published uh, because I, I've basically been a nonfiction guy my whole life, writing for Playboy and interviewing people and stuff like that. And so when this opportunity came up, I actually, to be honest with you, I, I took out a story from 40 years ago, typed. <laughs> so now I had to have it tra- uh, transferred to, you know, digital or right. whatever, you know, uh, word, word. So I have my word copy. I can work on that. And then I rewrote that. It was kind of fun because I had the, again, it's, it's the, you know, if you're looking at this, is a bad analogy, but, you know, you're looking at a, a shrub or a bush or something in your yard and, you know, it's time to trim it you have the whole thing there and then you go in with those clippers and you start trimming it up and making it, you know, the, the way you want it and taking the dead wood out and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I did on that short story, but that was fun because I, I updated part of it and, you know, used what was there to create something a little different. Now it still deals with ultimately it still deals with murder Arizona, a father and son relationship, fathers uh, on a TV show. So it's it's not far away, except it's it's a bit more fictionalized than you know the Crane book, which was just blah. You just blurt it out and throw it out there. Did you find it cathartic once the book was finished on your dad? Oh yeah, yeah. So you yeah, thought you could uh, move on, right? Yeah, I could move on. It was like taking boulders off my my shoulder. Going back to one of your earlier questions, that, that's another great thing about writing as far as I can tell and believe in is that I'm a much better, as you can tell, I'm a much better writer than speaker. Because in writing, you have the time, you can cross things out, you can think of a better word, you can, you know, make it. And yeah, so just the act of doing it, even if the book had never come out, just kind of blah, 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 onto a tape recorder felt great. And then when we shaped it up and made it, you know, we thought better and cleaner and dressed it up a little bit. And, and 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 again, where you hold the book in your hand, and I I still I'm still a, a paper fiend. I, I've never gotten into uh, e-books. Or my wife loves Kindle. She's on Kindle all the time. I can't do it. I got to smell the paper. I got to smell the print. I you know the ink. I love it. So when I was holding that Crane book, I was like, wow, yeah, this is this is a big thing for me. Going back to the point of writing and editing, and I asked you about your mentality now versus 20, 30 years ago when you're writing. When you do write now and you do edit, as you talked about pruning or trimming, do you still have the same passion when you're doing that, or is it a different kind of passion once you get into the rhythm of writing and editing today? Yeah, same, same passion. 
Yeah, same passion. I, I just read an interview today with the author, John, uh, John Irvin, who said, I'm going to die at my writing table. And I hope I do someday. You know, my little desk, I can't think of a better place to be. I mean, you're, you are the ruler of your universe. And the universe may be pretty small like mine is, but I still get to rule it. And I get to make decisions and take things out, and move things. And you're playing God, really. And there's just nothing like it. It's exciting. Also, to go back to one of your previous questions, I think now all these decades later, hopefully I'm thinking of better words, but, you know, better descriptions than I did 40 years ago. And then there's good old thesaurus. And, you know, and now online, you can find out anything. And yeah, but it just makes it the, the process, again, is so exciting to me. How do you find the balance between your internal world, as you just described it, the love of controlling your own world by writing and sitting at the writing desk, and your external world, where you have to interact with not just your wife, but with people? and be out in the in the world how do you balance that yeah especially in today's world wow it's like going from craziness out there back into your little room where again where you control whatever you want it to be uh it's, it's almost like a sanctuary now just getting bombarded you know on television and the internet by everything awful that's going on now and 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 you again you look for those little nuggets of goodness out there somebody helping with something or you know this whole thing about banning books now i i can't believe this that we're talking about this banning books wow it seems to come full circle doesn't it historical cycles where yes you you could look at and go wait a minute that that happened in the 30s and 40s and now it's back again from a different from a different part of the political yeah. universe yeah yeah we, strange. are we gonna have are we gonna have piles of books on fire now is that is yeah that if they the, offend too many people there? we got to burn them all that's what that's yeah. what the mentality oh, yeah. is but yeah. i think my question to you was more on a not the micro level or the macro level which were you were describing but more of the semi-macro level in other words when you leave your abode and you go out into the real world and you go shopping or you have coffee with someone or you interact with people how do you balance that kind of life and you go out with your wife for a dinner how do you balance those two worlds, internal and external? Again, you, you choose the people you want to be with. <laughs> well, that's wise, yes. And, and, and that, that helps. In other words, you're and, not a hermit is what I'm getting at here. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not a hermit. A bit more of a hermit since COVID. and Well, everybody uh, you know, is. You're right about yeah, that. Yeah, like a lot of people. But a bit more careful about travel and stuff like that. But uh, I... I I think, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but I, I balance it by trying to be in the moment and enjoying whatever we're doing, you know, fine glass of wine or the dinner or whatever. But you can, with, enjoy, you can enjoy other people is what I'm saying, if you, you're close oh, friends yeah. people that you love. Yeah. And I'm also, uh, I'm back to uh, Christopher Isherwood's thing. I'm a camera again. And I watch people, you know, without... So like staring at them, but I, I'm watching people, I'm observing things, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, some great dialogue for something. So it's all being recorded. Uh, and hopefully I'll remember most of it by the time I get home. So that's the balance. It, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm behaving like a, a camera absorbing stuff. 
but hopefully I'm in the moment too with the people that I'm usually choose to be with. Well, you are in the moment in the sense that you're not, as some people do, carrying a notebook and pen and writing things down that you observe while you're with those people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you and I have seen those people too, you know, the at the uh, coffee shop, you know, people are writing things down and all that. And, uh, you know, that's okay for whatever, but I, uh, I prefer just absorb as much as possible. So I guess uh, it's just a balance of being present as much as I can with stepping back of a step or two and looking at the whole room. Oh, who's here? You know, what's that go? Hey, what's that all about? You know, that kind of thing hearing things, seeing people behave in different manners, and then just trying to remember everything. It seems there's so many different approaches to how to write and how to live a life. And you've picked what seemed to be a good balance. So you have the internal life, you have the the external life, but the external life is purposely fine-tuned. So you're not not spending time with, quote-unquote, toxic people. I use that term because everybody loves that term now. But you're you're not having interactions, you try to avoid interactions with negative people and negative situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Along these lines, too, I get going way back to the top of our interview, I, I really admire people that can do things that I can't. So there are four people I know, have the pleasure of knowing, who I would call geniuses. And all four of them are artists. So I've written about two of them multiple times. There's a woman named DJ Hall and a guy named John Cerny. And these are people, not only can they paint and install and cut and do all these things that I could have no idea where to begin. They're great people. They see things that I don't see. And I am intrigued by what are they seeing? You know, what are they, talk about smelling print and books. You know, they're smelling oil and oil paints and, you know, all that stuff like that. And it's such a different world that, again, I've, I've written about those two people multiple times. And then there's two other people who all, and all four of them do different areas of art. And uh, that's just another world I'm intrigued with because I can't do it. Final question. Do you think you want to try doing those things that you can't do? No. No. no, It it would be so embarrassing. I I leave it to them. I leave it to their their creative powers. And uh, I, I will just be an observer on the sidelines and, you know, try to pick up detail of what they're doing and, you know, what kind of paint are they using and, you know, stuff like that. But no, (laughs) okay, that would be really bad. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Robert Crane, author of 10 books, including Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder, which is about the 1978 homicide of Hogan's Heroes star Bob Crane. Robert's current work is featured in a new collection of short stories, Beyond Where the Buses Run, stories available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. You can find out more about Robert Crane on his Facebook page. Robert, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ira. Pleasure. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.